Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, Tom Pelissero joins us to talk about the Dolphins' newest head coach, Mike McDaniel, some weekend tape study, and how coach and staff can tailor the offense to the weapons they have, plus... That's a wrap on the NFL season. A few things we learned after crowning a champion on Sunday from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. We have another great guest lined up for you today on the show. Let's go ahead and welcome an NFL Network's own Tom Pelissero. And I'm joined now by NFL Network reporter and Sirius XM radio host Tom Pelissero. And Tom I heard that we have the hottest Super Bowl on record on tap. I would have pushed all of my chips to the middle of the table that that would have been happening here in South Florida, but I guess it's in Los Angeles this weekend. The difference, Travis, is it's a dry heat out here. You can just feel the sun baking on you. You don't feel like you're in a swamp and got to change clothes five times throughout the course of the day. <laughs> that, that was a summer lesson when I first moved down here was that if you go outside at all, you're going to have to go back and, and take a shower, like you mentioned there. So, you know, we talk about California, South Florida, pardon the bad transition here, Tom, but from one California to Florida transplant is the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins and Mike McDaniel. And Tom, you had mentioned on one of your hits, I think it was this week, that you crossed paths with Coach McDaniel quite a while back. What do you remember? What do you first remember hearing about him as he kind of began his ascent in the coaching ranks? And what stood out to you about him early on? Well, I initially met Mike through Kyle Shanahan many years ago, and Mike has been a longtime Kyle Shanahan assistant. Um, he had brought him along to every place he'd ever been between, you know, obviously being in, in Houston and being in Cleveland and Atlanta, San Francisco. I'm sure I'm missing one in there. Uh, but he, they've always been side by side for a long time. And then, you know, obviously got to know him a little bit better at the Super Bowl uh, five years ago. Uh, when the Falcons were in it and, and had a, a fascinating conversation, a deep conversation with Mike that started at Super Bowl Media Day and continued on the phone uh, over a couple of nights. Which Mike talked to me about uh, some of the things that he's dealt with in the past and some of the challenges that he's had to overcome in his personal life, the way that the Falcons helped him through all of that. Um, you know, certainly when you get to know him, when you talk to him, and I think that's already apparent from just the press conferences and and, uh, you know, the viral videos and everything else there. He's, he's a multi-layered guy. He was certainly a unique individual, a highly t- intelligent individual, uh, and somebody that I think that the Dolphins fans are going to really enjoy hearing from uh, five times a week coming this season. Yeah, he did a, a whole round, the whole gamut of media yesterday after his press conference, and he kind of has that dry humor where he'll give you a joke and kind of see how you react and then continue on. And a few of the guys got a, a sample of that. I got a sample of that. I think I missed the boat on my joke opportunity with Coach, but I guess I'll learn as I go along. I, I would say that that's fair. You know, the one thing about Mike is he's, he's very authentic, and Kyle Shanahan said that recently, that Mike is himself. He is, Kyle's also referred to him as an acquired taste. He's just, he's a little bit uh, different of a personality than you a lot of times get from head coaches. But when you're evaluating, and I think that this goes for teams uh, across the league, every team is going to have its own criteria in terms of what they're looking for in their head coach. 
And not everybody is going to lead the same way. Not every personality is going to fit into a precise box. This is what we think the head coach is going to be. So provided that you feel like you can translate your skills that you've used in assistant coaching roles into the head coaching role, it's just a matter of taking that and going, okay, can we see this win or lose? Can this guy be the person to stand in front of the room, win or lose? And I know the Dolphins did a ton of background on Mike McDaniel, a ton of digging into some of those same issues. You know, can he be that guy? How does he interact with people? What can he draw out of people? Obviously, they found the answers that they were very satisfied with, and that's why he's their head coach. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, the Dolphins doing their background research on him. Stephen Ross said at the press conference multiple times, out-of-the-box thinker, and we've heard that all the time. And, Tom, you're obviously as well-connected as anybody in this league and, you know, as this and, and even past hiring cycles have come and gone, has there been one common trait that people kind of mention about Coach McDaniel? And if so, what is that one trait? Intelligence is the number one thing. And, and that's always been there for Mike. You know, he went to Yale and he's, you know, just a, a very well thought out person. I think that just in terms of football, a big part of it is, you know, he has a reputation as an innovator, not an imitator. In other words, there's so much play stealing that goes on in the NFL, and sometimes people can get the impression that somebody's really thinking, you know, has these new ideas, when really all they're doing is watching college tape, watch other NFL teams, plucking plays. With Mike and working with Kyle Shanahan, they do some things. They will show things that nobody has seen. They can take a guy like a Kyle Juszczyk, who, you know, was a guy who you wonder, okay, you know, kind of what's his role? They made him like a $7 million fullback because they saw him as this chess piece that they can move all over the place. And, you know, that's something that's a common trait uh, within that offense. Mike has a heavy uh, hand in the running game. He has in the past with the 49ers. That's kind of been the balance there because Kyle Shanahan's obviously a brilliant pass game guy and knows how to get people open. Mike was kind of his second set of eyes on game day, too. So the way that Mike can see the game, he sees things that other people don't see. And that obviously is something that, you know, schematically is going to serve him well as he not only moves into his first head coaching opportunity, but his first opportunity really calling plays all the time as well. It's a great trait to have, obviously, but I'm curious, how do you think that will benefit him in both assembling his coaching staff and then ultimately the collaboration with the coaches he has on staff? Well, I know that Mike had put a lot of time in with the coaching staff. Uh, There have been some things that have been you know, relatively set up uh, for a while in terms of the types of people that he was going to be bringing in. You'll see those names trickling out here in the coming weeks. Obviously, the expectation is Josh Boyer and much of the defensive staff uh, remain in place. There's a lot of people who are eager to work with Mike. There are a lot of veteran coaches who are eager to work with Mike because, again, even though his profile was lower and, you know, you don't see him in a press conference, he doesn't talk the way some other guys do, people who have been around him know how smart he is. Some of the smartest coaches in the NFL who've worked with Mike at various stops talk about the sounding board uh, that he can be. And so when he gets a head coaching job, absolutely, there are people who want to go into this with him and want to be a part of it. You know, he may, too. We'll see how the exact composition of the staff happens. I would not be surprised if you bring in a former NFL head coach, somebody who can help with some of the administrative stuff. You see that with a lot of first-time head coaches. They'll bring people in just to kind of ease some of that administrative burden. just so much that comes with being the head coach. But I, I fully believe that it's going to be a really strong staff that he puts together in Miami because that's the type of respect that Mike has uh, in terms of being a football mind in the league. Yeah, you mentioned the respect among the, his coaching peers, and obviously a, a big part of getting a head coaching job is your ability to round out a coaching staff, but also recruiting players. I know it's not you know on the college or even high school level, but when you when you look at how his 
his makeup and his character can possibly attract free agents. Do you think that also will go a long way in, in making players want to come here and play for Mike McDaniel? I would say that if any of those players want to do homework on Mike McDaniel, they should call the 49ers players and hear the types of things that those guys uh, say about him. You know, everybody from obviously Kyle Juszczyk has been very outspoken about what Mike means to him. Uh, guys like Debo Samuel, I know, um, you know, put together some thoughts that he got to the Dolphins during the interview process because he wanted them to know, you know, as he was preparing for a playoff game, Debo wanted them to know how, how special uh, of a guy that Mike is. You know, it'll be interesting to see just kind of, you know, obviously he's he's talked to Tua Tungabailoa already. We saw that video. The expectation is he's there. He, he's a believer, and he pitched them on the plan for how he was going to, you know, how he was going to work with Tua. It wasn't, well, here's our options for quarterback. No, it was, here's how we're going to get the most out of Tua. And that's something we've seen throughout Mike's career, too, is you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks. Obviously, again, he's been with Kyle Shanahan, but basically every quarterback that, that Mike's been encountering has had their best year when he's been there. And part of that's because they've run the football so effectively. And that's a big thing that, that Mike does. And so, you know, talent acquisitions always, the Dolphins are always aggressive in free agency. They're not afraid to spend money. Steve Ross is willing to invest in the team. I would anticipate that that continues. And I think that if, yeah, again, if, if players call around to the 49ers players or even guys who have who've played uh, for Mike in the past, I mean, guys like Andrew Hawkins, who I work with here at NFL Network, will tell you he's one of the smartest guys, you know, that you're ever going to come across. A lot of people that have a lot of love for Mike. And I think that word of mouth is a big part of, you know, when you're when you're kind of analyzing where to end up. Yeah, you mentioned the testimonials. I was going to mention the Andrew Hawkins quote. He talked about the 2014 receivers room in Cleveland, how he believes they never got pressed or jammed at the line because of the techniques and the stuff that Mike McDaniel taught them. So really good stuff there across the board on those testimonials. And you had mentioned in your reporting that he kind of presented some well thought out plans for specific players and the idea of developing players and getting the best out of them is very high on the to-do list. What's the book on his ability to do that, to take players and take them to their absolute peak of their performance? It's very strong, and that's another one of the big selling points with Mike is player development. And yes, he has plans you know, for that for the entire offense, but also specifically for developing Tua Tagovailoa, who, when he was healthy last season, Tua played well and they won. I, mean, I don't know off the top of my head, you might have what Tua's record is as a starting quarterback, but it's pretty good. You know, his issue has been injuries, which was his issue at, at Alabama too, uh, all the way through. Just you know, got banged up a lot. This season he dealt with yeah, the rib injury. I think he had a hand or a thumb or some kind of injury too. So he, he's dealt with stuff. When he was healthy down the stretch, that's the best we saw him play. Now you bring in somebody who this is what they do. They are a guru in terms of uh, offense. It, it'll be interesting to see too because Tua has played so much uh, from the shotgun throughout the course of his career. And that was kind of the idea when the Dolphins first drafted him, which was bring in Chan Gailey, run that spread it out shotgun, quick hitting type of an offense. Well, Mike's history in that offense, the outside zone scheme, it's a lot of play action, it's a lot of bootlegs, it's a lot of under center stuff. So how Mike balances that in terms of getting to an under center, which I would, I won't guarantee anything, but I would certainly bet they will see to an under center more than he has been in the past. And then, you know, some of the other fundamentals of that offense, things like turning your back to the line of scrimmage on play fakes, which a lot of these quarterbacks haven't done. So how they kind of teach some of these elements of the offense while also preserving what Tua is comfortable with I think it's going to be an important part of how this offense, this entire team evolves. It's very interesting because there's some carryover in terms of the Niners leading the NFL last year in 21 personnel. 
You mentioned Kyle Juszczyk, a big part of that. The Dolphins led the NFL in 12 personnel with two tight ends, so maybe there is some carryover there. And earlier, Tom, you mentioned you know your relationship with Mike, and it goes back quite a few years, and you've detailed some of the obstacles he's overcome in his coaching career and his life, and, and all that kind of ties together. How do you think that helps him connect to his players? Well, certainly, Mike had a you know unique, a lot of unique things uh, in his life, going all the way back to his childhood, and of course, he's addressed. Um, the race issue, which became um, the sort of Twitter sensation in recent days because of the, in, the current environment. There are things that are going on uh, within the league, but growing up with a, a black father and a white mother and seeing certain things that may have been a little bit different than what other people experienced. Um, and then obviously as he you know, got out of college and got into the NFL, one thing that, that followed him uh, was uh, problems with alcohol. You know, he had issues going back to, and we talked about all this five years ago at the Super Bowl, you know, things like, you know, being in his office in Cleveland and, you know, having a drink to try to jumpstart his creativity and coming in Atlanta sometimes, you know, smelling like alcohol on a Saturday morning before a walkthrough. And it got to the point where, you know, Mike had the, the self-awareness to go to Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn and say, I need some help. I think I need to, to do something here. And so he went and he got treatment and he's, you know, over the past five years here, um, you know, been a different person. As he told me at the time, he realized people like him a lot more when he's not drinking. You know, that's brought out, I think, even more of the creativity that Mike has um, you know, just in terms of his, his ability to focus and not having other things that are, you know, going on in his life. I think that it's a good trait in a head coach, not to in any way, you know, compare personal issues to professional, but I do think it's a good trait in a head coach sometimes, especially a first-time head coach, to say, I can't do this all on my own. I need help. I need to delegate. I need input uh, from different people. And I think those are all lessons that Mike is going to apply now um, that he's a head coach and he's going to be fun. I'll tell you that too. He, he's going to be fun to cover. He's going to be fun to watch how his offense evolves. The fans are going to have fun too. In the end, it's all about winning football games and that's what he's going to be tasked with. You're not taking over a bottom feeder here with the Dolphins. You're taking over a team that's had a winning record the past couple of years, even though you know, not going to the playoffs, but certainly been a competitive team, probably too streaky for anybody's liking, long losing streaks, long winning streaks uh, during the course of time there. Uh, Mike Sim certainly, you know, I'm sure is going to try to be smoothing that stuff out, but he's taken over a team that's got some talent. They've got guys like Jalen Waddle, who's a really intriguing young player on offense who caught about 6 billion passes uh, this season. They've obviously got some, you know, all pro caliber talent on the defense too. Let's see how they bring it together. Let's see how they do, you know, through free agency in the draft. Chris Brew's there, so you got continuity on the personnel side. I think just the whole thing is going to be really interesting to watch because Mike is, and again, I don't mean to minimize this, but he is outside the box in terms of you don't immediately meet him or, you know, have a conversation and go, okay, that guy's a future head coach. But understanding how smart he is, the impact he's had on so many different teams, the way the players view him, the way that everybody in the building views him, uh, there is real upside to him being uh, a head coach, and I'm really excited to see it. Well, I, Tom, I got to say, you got me wanting it to be September already. It's it's a few months away, but... No, please no. Just I'm not, I'm not ready for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. You've been a busy man this, this last entire season. The extra week to extend your schedule even further. So we'll go ahead and, and enjoy the break and the time off. Before we give you that, though, quick, Tom, one more question. What do you think ultimately will make Mike a successful head coach in this league? 
Well, time will tell. And I think that everybody's got traits. There's a reason guys get hired and everybody believes that, you know, the guy they're hiring is going to have the traits to be a successful head coach. If it pans out that way for Mike, and if he is able to be as good as he has the capability of doing, it's just that the way that he sees the game is very unique. The way that he can pick things out, innovate, um, be able to push the envelope on certain things. And some of them may seem minor. Some of them, if you're just a fan tuning into the game, it, it may be imperceptible, but you're always challenging the status quo. And when you're doing that, not simply by watching tape of what other people are doing, you're figuring out unique things that you can do. You're figuring out ways that you can adjust on the fly. It's that ability that's really going to help Mike. And what he's going to have to grow into is just the leadership role, being at the front of the room every day. He's obviously been an offensive coordinator. He's been you know, heavily involved. I've seen him present. You might see the guy at the press conference and not recognize him in terms of the guy presenting in the room because they are a little bit different. Um, he has some experience there, but it's the first time for everything. So growing into that, that leadership role, the front of the room role, but being able to rely on I'm as smart as anybody in terms of how we're drawing this up and the X's and O's, the way that we're going to game plan every week. That is what in the short term is going to have the give the Mike the opportunity to be really good. Well, yeah, I mean, it's from the sounds of it, it sounds like when he needs to, you know, kind of look in the mirror and, and make improvements as he goes along, he's certainly capable of that as he gets kind of his, his feet wet and his experience here in South Florida. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, Sirius XM Radio. Tom, really appreciate your time today. I understand you're going back on the network for a live hit. Keep an eye out for those scooters out there, okay? Will do. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tom. And there he goes, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. Great stuff there on the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And before we get to our first break here, I want to go ahead and just let you guys know that we will have the entirety of the coaching staff updated for you when we have it finalized and published and everything on MiamiDolphins.com. When we announce it, we'll cover it here on the Drive Time Podcast. But I want to go ahead and let you know that we did hear from Mike McDaniel on local radio here in South Florida on Friday that Wes Welker would be joining his staff as a receivers coach and that Josh Boyer would stay on as the defensive coordinator. Mike McDaniel himself confirmed that. So that is what we're going forward with. We'll get you updated on the rest of the coaching staff as we go forward. Next, I watched some tape this weekend. I want to talk about what I saw. So we'll do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Travis Wingfield, keep it locked right here. The B Block here on a Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And when I set out to record this podcast, I did not intend on putting more coach sound bites into this episode. But then I heard the Lebetard podcast. And look, I'm very proud of the interview I did with Coach McDaniel. He made it one of the more memorable moments of my career so far. But my goodness, was this Lebetard spot good? I guess that's how you generate a national audience and launch your own podcast network, huh? But I think a lot of this supplements the segment I had planned on doing, and there's a theme I want to focus on with his answers that jives with this segment that I had planned. But I just wanted to relay this part he said with regards to the resources he's provided in this position as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He talked about putting in requests for certain things, and the expensing process can sometimes take some time And he said that he heard stories about being here in Miami. Hey, you want a hyperbaric chamber and a Peloton that's going to cost you $350,000? And then it shows up the next day. The thought of giving this man all the resources he needs, you have to love that. All right, back to the theme here. And he really detailed some of his approach to the offensive side of the ball and sort of taking inventory of the assets that he has. It's threefold. The quarterback, the offensive line with the running game, and waddle, waddle. Let's go ahead and start here first 
with Tua Tungavailoa, his answer about what Tua needs to improve on this offseason. He needs to work on playing the position of quarterback. We, we need to teach him our system. He needs to work on fundamentals. You get with him, and without any shortcut, you see things he's comfortable with within your offense. And then you need to have other offense around him. The original point of focusing on the run game within our system, the first year that I had uh, that I was in coaching, I was with Jake Plummer and the Broncos when we went to the AFC Championship game. One could say that, hey, Jake Plummer needs to work at playing in the pocket on third down more. Or you can say, we need to run the ball. We need to feature what he's good at. And yes, he needs to work at it all. But more of the focus was, let's create the offense. Let's establish the system. He should know how to call the plays where everyone's at. But let's have an offense that he operates within. So it's hard for me to say this one thing. I I want him to work. I I want him to be invested. And I want to see what happens with that. And that reminds me so much of things I learned when I first got into reading Warren Sharp's work, who does so much work on analytics and down and distance situational football. And that's essentially, I think, what coaches kind of driving home there is creating more advantageous situations, not just for your quarterback, but for the entire offense. And the ability to run the football can not only put you in better down and distances, especially when you go away from tendencies and run the ball when you're expected to pass and pass the ball when you're expected to run, but the influence it has on the defense is also tenfold. Let's go ahead and get to this next clip here of him talking about the offensive line. Here's Coach McDaniel. Um, I think historically, if you go back and look from year to year, you know, what was the uh, Atlanta Falcons O-line productivity in 2014? Historically, our system does help people because we commit to stuff and all of those things factor very aware of that. But to me, that's where we have to flourish. So that, that is obviously a point of emphasis because we haven't, um, but the line of scrimmage is paramount importance. That was the pillar of our success in San Francisco the last five years. I mean, it makes perfect sense. If you can have success in terms of gaining yards, possessing the football, and then also having an influence on how the defense attacks your passing game. When you do want to dial up the ball through the air, it makes so much sense. How about the offensive line? Let's go and continue this follow-up here about being within one system across six different teams. Here's Coach McDaniel. But I'm running a system that I've ran with six different teams for 15 years in one system, which no one really talks about, but that's unprecedented. Why? Because Kyle Shanahan kept getting jobs at different places. What does that mean? You learn how to play with different types of players. And then you adjust, which is why we're we're not like I'm not creative for creative sake. I'm just trying to trying to put players in success. We've had a lot of different ways to do it because we've had to adapt to a lot of different players. We didn't know how to do zone read until we got a zone read quarterback. And so are we zone read guys that can only do that? No one had done it in pistol. We just did it in pistol because it made sense. So stuff like that, you know, being in the same system. For that long, the system completely evolves and doesn't even look the same, but you learn how to figure stuff out um, once you get all your assets. We're going to circle back to that one, but first, real quick, let's go ahead and finish up here. You're going to hear Lebitard's question towards Coach. 
And he doesn't let him finish the question before giving him an answer. Let's go back to it. Uh, give me a name, please, just to excite the Dolphin fan base where you are looking at the roster and you're like, oh, I can get I can get something special out of, out of that guy. Okay. Waddle. <laughs> All right. So you're you're telling you're promising us. You could promise it. Waddle if he's healthy. You're gonna see a little Debo Samuel. You're gonna see someone who's used super versatile. No, I just I, I just talked with him on Monday and I, I think he understands his leadership role on this team. He's a phenomenal talent. And guess what? The best and easiest way to uh, get yards is give it to a really talented player. The 49ers, the last five or four or five years, have led the league in yak. The reason is because we've, we're addicted to getting our uh, skill position players that are good with running the ball to ball. And so, yes, I would start him in fantasy. Beyond that, I think um, I think you should see some jumps in the uh, Miami Dolphins offense next year. What those look like um, will be determined this offseason and the way the players work and attack things moving forward. Welcome. You can hear that entire interview on the Levitard show with Stu Gotts on the Dan Levitard Podcast Network. Great, great stuff there. And to just finish up here real quick, Levitard asked him about the best trait that he brings to the Dolphins, and McDaniel said the true strength he's been afforded over his career is adaptability. He then points out how many players have had their career years within this system, and again, not a rigid system, but the system with adaptations to fit those players. Coach said that variables and different positions and how they helped him understand the best way to get the ball to the best players in unique ways and adjusting to their skill set. He thinks that empowers the quarterback. The run game empowers the quarterback. And he finishes up with this quote, adapting to talent and versatility to do whatever our skill set necessitates would probably be my best trait. So we know there's a draft still to happen, obviously, and the most cap space when next month's free agency period opens up. So he can get to work putting his fingerprints on this roster. But what about what he's inheriting here in South Florida? How can he adapt to that? Where are some of the potential upshots on this roster? Well, first, I think it's important to understand a little bit about the zone running scheme, specifically wide zone. Now, Coach himself has talked about how they've altered their systems, not just in that interview, but in other various articles and interviews that he's given before about tendency breakers. And we'll touch on that here in just one moment. But in my interview with Coach last week, he talked a little bit about play design, how his thought was to come up with solutions to the problems the defense presents and how from there you can sequence off the stuff you have. And that to me is a big reason you're attracted to what he brings from not just the head coach side of things, but the offensive structure side, because this is a playbook that has developed over the better part of two decades and just keeps adding chapters with the more experience that he gains a la the zone read stuff he mentioned with Robert Griffin, the third and how none of the staff there in Washington had any experience with that. And they didn't go to any clinics to learn that. They just did the old-fashioned grind route. Grind it out, develop your offense for the player. So why I'm telling you all this, because I think there are opportunities to maximize the incumbents on offense before you even consider supplementary pieces in the player acquisition period of the calendar. That is the most prevalent offensive system. This is, I should say, the most prevalent offensive system in the National Football League, and it's not close. Between Shanahan in San Francisco, LaFleur in Green Bay, now McDaniel in Miami. How about Mike LaFleur as the OC with the Jets, a new head coach in Minnesota with Kevin O'Connell coming off this tree. We're up to, what, a quarter, a third of the league 
having ties back to this system. And the godfather of it is, well, Mike Shanahan. But you could argue that his son's resume is closing ground fast and might have already pulled a Max Verstappen on the last lap of the 2021 F1 season and overtaken top position. And if Kyle Shanahan is sort of the model, well, who was in the office right next to his for the last five years? Who's the coach that Kyle Shanahan brought with him to every stop in Cleveland, Atlanta, and San Francisco as his right-hand man? Mike McDaniel. So again, coaches' Rolodex of plays and principles is rivaling that of the Miami-Dade and Broward phone books combined, but wide zone has been one of the most successful elements of that offense, and that's where I want to start here. First, zone means you're going to get a zone step to start the play from the offensive line. That's where every offensive lineman takes their first step in the same direction, ideally in unison to the play side of the formation. Their aim is to block an area opposed to having a specific assignment like you'd see in gap and power schemes. This creates more flexibility to run against multiple fronts and gives you a lot of opportunities to utilize one of our favorite terms here on the podcast, the old catch and climb to the second level and wall off those linebackers flowing to the football and then use that flow against them. Matt Bowen, an ESPN analyst, wrote about zone, and he says the NFL teams that feature the zone concepts look to have backs who have vision, speed through the hole, and cutback ability to find the running lanes at the point of attack. Some examples he listed were LaShawn McCoy, Arian Foster, Matt Forte, Reggie Bush, Jamal Charles, and Marshawn Lynch, and Alfred Morris. Remember that podcast we did last week? Alfred Morris blew up as a sixth-round rookie in this running scheme in Washington when Shanahan and McDaniel were in the Capitol. So there are so many different types of zone concepts, and I don't think this is the platform to get into the nitty-gritty of each and to go through every single rule, but I think the most basic explanation is this. That play-side initial step puts your offensive line in position to reach, which is a block where you're outflanked and you have to get wider than a player who began wider than you are at the start of the play. You have to get around that portion of the block, get your butt out there, and wall that thing off. And interestingly enough, the Niners offensive line had a pretty specific prototype on the offensive line, but that doesn't always equate to the norm or even the preference. In fact, I found a pretty interesting little clip when Coach McDaniel was asked about this last season with the Niners and their average height weight across the offensive line. Here's Coach. History of smaller offensive linemen, um, but that's uh, really we haven't invested second round draft picks into offensive linemen. We'd prefer everyone to be 400 pounds and 6'10 if, if, you could, if you could engineer that. I found that interesting because here in Miami, there are a bunch of recently drafted first and second rounders. And to a man, those guys do have the size athletic profile that Coach is kind of hinting at about right there. Maybe not six foot 10, 400 pounds, but a pretty consistent six foot three, six foot four, 315 to 320 pound range. And this to me is fascinating because to see how they want to approach the construction of the offensive line under one of the game's most successful run game coordinators over the last half decade certainly bears witnessing. And so I think it only stands to benefit that group. I think it stands to benefit the quarterback and the receivers. More on that in just one second, but a couple more notes here. The best wide zone teams can run the same concepts from a variety of groupings and formations that talks about the versatility, which jives with this offensive line we currently have in place. And then for the quarterback, one nice part about the system is it typically has a this or that type of scenario audibles that a quarterback can check to in order to take advantage of favorable box counts or also get out of bad run looks. 
it's imperative that the quarterback can ID these types of things. And I forget who it was, might have been Dan Orlovsky. There was a former quarterback who really broke down the importance of quarterbacks in the running game, getting out of bad looks, things of that nature. And guess what? Coach said similar things in his Levitard spot, talking about Tua and playing the quarterback position. Those are the details you never see in the box score, and you sure as hell won't see it in the discourse after games. Big key here. And in a given playbook, you'll have your concept, and this is beyond the running game, the best look to run that concept against, a look that could give that concept problems, and then the looks with checks to give you answers to those problems. So again, you don't always consider the quarterback's role in the running game, but it's absolutely paramount, and I trust that McDaniel can get Tua playing at a high level in that regard. And the best part about all this, it's such an evolved system in terms of how long it's been around, how much has been added to it based upon adjustment and tendency breakers, And what it does is gives the defense so much to think about, which just causes slower play and slower reaction. We talked about the different looks you'll see. Having that knowledge with a resolution to it and the ability to get the defense to fall step, to get their eyes off of where they're supposed to be, all of these things open lanes in the passing game. So that's the run game basics, like not even 101, the high school level introduction, but also how it can impact the quarterback off the running game. And it also dictates the way the defense plays. As I go back to this article from 2019 on The Athletic, where McDaniel was one of the many, many coaches interviewed about this and talking about creating defensive personnel groupings where they have to subtract rushers in passing situations and then keep those rushers on the field in running situations and calling it accordingly. It's all situational based and Coach McDaniel want to create as many advantageous situations for Tua and the passing game possible. So who else can benefit from that spacing? Well, Waddle, Waddle, right? One thing I love the Niners did was incorporate the screen game as a look into their RPO looks. So you have flow in one direction with an option for the quarterback to give, and then he can also pull it out and flip it out to the screen, or he can come to the backside and find the slant route. And there are so many examples of Garoppolo doing just this and getting the ball to the backside slant to a receiver who has easy inside access because of the pre-stap spacing and look and motion, and then depending on how the safety reacted to the run fake and screen look, potentially a foot race to the end zone or a one-on-one situation in the open field. To to surmise here, motions, motions, and more motions, pre-snap indicators, man and zone. Also on motion, the ability for the jet sweeps widens the edge and creates an extra fit for the defense. Also, it creates that flow. There's examples of the up back and 21 personnel, Kyle Juszczyk, you motion him from the left to the right. And when they flow with that motion, the Niners would then hit windback runs, which creates, again, advantageous leverage situations for the offensive line. You get some ghost motion looks where the receiver runs back around the quarterback, and then they also can incorporate some wham looks with unblocked defensive tackles, which becomes the responsibility of the quarterback to read the option for that give, the flare, the pop pass, all that stuff. It creates options for the quarterback. It creates conflict. Identify those passing lanes and attack them create vulnerabilities and exploit them. It influences blocks, blocks from the edge and the force defender to cause a false step on them, which helps the actual blocker that draws him in the assignment. Like think about a trap or a guard pulling around play side. You fake a block on that force defender, his footwork gets out of sync, the guard comes over and wipes him out. It's so much complimentary stuff that helps each other out and supports everybody like Coach has talked about. And the fun part about it from those looks Wrinkles develop off of that. It's game plan specific, and I think it really benefits the line, the run game in general, Tua and Waddle. Not bad, huh? That's my very early observation from some tape tape detail, 
More to come this offseason. I'm having a blast looking at this stuff already. Coming up next, the big game, the Super Bowl. We'll talk about some lessons learned from that game and the 2021 season at large. Next here on the Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield, your host. We'll come right back. Back here on the Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, and the Rams are the world champions of the 2021 football season. They overcome injuries in the Super Bowl and with a great, I think it was 15-play drive there at the end, put it into the end zone for the go-ahead score. The kid from Yakima, Washington, where I lived for about five years of my life, has the game-winning touchdown and ultimately the Super Bowl MVP to bring home with him. And I think within that game, plenty of lessons exist. And really, ultimately, what you can take away from the entire NFL season this year. And look, every game hinges on a few moments. I mean, there's obviously some blowouts and lopsided games and things that get away late in the fourth quarter and so on and so forth. But in large part, most games are won within a few moments of the game. And the best way to be able to ensure that you make those plays when you need to with a higher frequency than not making those plays is to give yourself multiple ways to win games. We saw the long touchdown pass to T Higgins, which was, you know, the Bengals opportunity to take advantage of one-on-one coverage to their second receiver in terms of the primary targets that those guys receive. The ability to control the game on the ground for them with Joe Mixon at times had them ahead late in that game for for long stretches of that game and helped them control the game on the defensive side as well. Playmakers that can create explosive pass plays, again, with Chase and Higgins. We saw it with Cooper Cup in the game, Odell Beckham early before his injury. Offensive lines that can handle a relentless rush. The Bengals couldn't put the Rams away because they just could not keep enough rushers off Joe Burrow. How about a defensive struggle back and forth that featured the most dominant football player in all of all time for my money in Aaron Donald. And that's my second lesson in this game, honestly. I'm not talking like GOAT or whatever you want to describe it as or, or classify it as, but just on a snap-for-snap basis, who not just wins their matchup on a down-by-down basis, but a guy who dominates them. I was texting a buddy about that final drive, and I just said there's no way Donald doesn't make a play here And sure enough, he does back-to-back plays, in fact, incredible. I think we saw the importance of multiple options in the passing game regarding Cup and Beckham, and also again with Higgins winning that one-on-one matchup on the other side with Chase commanding attention in the passing game as well. And hell, the Rams went out and got Beckham after losing Robert Woods to an injury. You think they realized how important it was to have a secondary option that was also capable of consistently beating one-on-one coverage when he gets it with Woods and Cup and then now Beckham? I think the third one here, and really the biggest one, and I suppose the ultimate takeaway from this game and the playoffs and the strange season that was 2021 that featured a pair of four seeds in the Super Bowl, which I don't believe had ever happened before this season, was just the overall parity that the league has really achieved and how I think looking at things in a one-game sample size is just always... It's always going to be too much one way or the other, good or bad. Like seasons are long. The journeys are winding for damn near every team, except for a handful of all-time great teams that never really had the hiccups. And even those teams probably did. And I always want to try my best to enjoy these seasons because they seem to get shorter every single year. So that's a wrap. The Rams are world champions. That's my time on this edition of Drive Time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL as well as Instagram. You can follow the Miami Dolphins across all socials at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and OJ. They have a great episode coming your way Tuesday. I won't spoil that one yet, but you definitely want to hear that one. Check out the YouTube channel with Joanna Torres on Dolphins Today as well as myself and all of our 
Coach Mike McDaniel content that's been up there the last couple of days and throughout the last week here as he gets the job here in Miami as the head coach. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy is coming home.